It is funny how the service moves so differently now um, without the songs in between, excuse me, as I try and adjust and get fitted and ready to go. Um, I almost was caught off guard there. I was like, oh, wait, it's my turn. I'm the one who just told you, hey, everybody, pay attention. It'll come up quickly. So uh, here we go. Message from the Word of God today. We're going to the book of Hebrews, and about halfway through the, uh, the sermon, I think you'll see how it fits in with what we discussed last week. So in this passage, we're going to be looking at, uh, at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We're going to be talking about Jesus. Jesus is the superior one. He is the one that now God has spoken through him, his own son. And so we need to learn to appreciate Jesus and to say, okay, if God has spoken to us through Jesus, then everything else has to take second place. Many things have to go to the wayside. We have to forget some of the things that try and distract us and pull us away from the very main thing, the one thing that we should be doing, and that is listening to Jesus. And whenever we talk about listening, if we're going to listen to Jesus just like a child listens to a parent, they don't just kind of hear. They don't just uh, listen to words and say, oh, I heard that. The idea of listening is to listen, it is to do, it is to obey, it is to believe. So let us discuss this today as we look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So in verses 1 and 2, let me just start there. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us, in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So I want to make a first, the first note is kind of a side note, and I put this parenthetical along with the, the heading that God has spoken to us in his Son. God has spoken to us through his Son. God has spoken to us by the fact that his Son has appeared and has shown us who God is. And it was kind of this idea that it's more than just speaking God's words are in Jesus because he is the word. But here is this parenthetical note. It's that this happened in the last days, in these last days. In verse number two, it says, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. Now, if you and I were just reading that and said, well, what does that mean? We might just think, well, in these last days, it just means recently. Recently, God has spoken to us, and that would kind of make sense. Except for the fact that the idea of the last days is firmly rooted and established in the Old Testament. And it's a very specific reference to a last age or a last time period. And this is a reference that, that God is no longer just speaking to people through the prophets as he did to, uh, um, during the, there was a patriarchal age that at one point God time God spoke to Abraham, he spoke to Isaac and Jacob, but then came an age where the law of Moses came in, and so that was another age of time. And so God spoke to people, to the prophets, or to people through the prophets in different time periods throughout history. And now the last days, we have entered into the last period of time, and Jesus is the one who speaks to us. Um, for his father. Uh, so 
to talk about this, I just have one reference. And if you go through, uh, in particular, Jeremiah talks about the last days. Um, Chapter 31, in particular, has some important notes about that. But also, um, there is some words, wording in Joel that speaks of the last days. And Joel is quoted in the first sermon that was given in the last days. So in, second, in the second chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Peter is giving the first uh, sermon in the church age, or in the last days. Verse 16, it says, But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. So what was occurring then, and it was the speaking in tongues, what was occurring then is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And this is from Joel chapter 2. Verse 17, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So there is the idea of, this is just one spot where it talks about the last days. So the last days began at the time when Jesus died, when the church was established, Here in Acts 2, this is the beginning of the last days. This was a marker when when the Spirit was poured forth on mankind. That was an indication that we have now, the whole world has now entered into the last days. All right, so that's just a parenthetical note. So if anybody ever asks you, you know, well, is this the end of time or you think we're in the last days? You can say, "Yeah, yeah, we're definitely in the last days. We've been in the last days since Jesus died on the cross and ascended into heaven, we entered into the last days. So when the final day is going to come, I don't know. Jesus didn't know. Um, But we are definitely in the last days. There's nothing new that God is going to do other than what he has already started, and that's saving people through his son. This is the last days. He has spoken through his son. Is there anything that he can do that would be better than that? Is there anything else left for God to do other than speak to us through his own son. And I would contend there's not. Um, Jesus dying on the cross to save the world from their sins is a great love that I don't think can be outdone. So this is, in fact, the last days that we have entered into. Okay, so now speaking about, so we mentioned the last days, and that's a little sermon in and of itself. And it's an important, important information especially regarding when you're interacting or talking with other Christians and what they believe. Um, This is something for you to perhaps discuss. It is fairly important. But now, let's talk about the Son, because that is truly what is important. That's what's important about the last days, is that God has spoken to us in His Son. So let's talk about this Son. Hebrews make some very specific notations about the Son, describing this Son the Son of God. God spoke to us in His Son. Verse 2. That is the main, the main theme of those first four verses, is that God has spoken to us through someone very special, His own Son. So number one, 
we learn uh, from verse number two, it says, In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So the Son has been appointed to something. The Son is an heir of all things. So, and this is an interesting, it's always a, a, a little bit of a perplexing thing, you know. Okay, so Jesus is going to receive all things. At some particular time, usually an heir gets something when it's passed down to him from due to a death. So it's not like that. But Jesus is going to receive something. And when we think of all things, we tend to think of the world, right? And it's kind of like, well, what is, what's Jesus going to do with the world? He's already king of the world, right? He's already the, the authority in charge of all things on this earth. So what is the significance of this heir of all things? And I think Psalm chapter 2 helps understand that. So go, go to Psalm uh, chapter 2, um, and uh, we're going to look at verses, um, verses number uh, two, 7 and 8. Psalm 2. 7 and 8. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 starts, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. All right, so here is a, a reference to Jesus receiving as an inheritance the nations. And so it makes sense to me to, to consider, as I think about the nations, it's not that Jesus wants to be in charge of the nations and just kind of be a president or a king or something. But the nations represent people. All nations. So all nations are going to be, all peoples are going to be given as an inheritance to Jesus. And that's what's really important. You know, and it's, we are an inheritance that Jesus is going to receive and that he does receive. He receives us. And an inheritance is a wonderful thing, and that's a humbling thing to think that Jesus cares about us that much, that God cares about us so much that we are considered a gift that will be given to Jesus. The Son is the heir of all things. And the reason that we are then able to be given as a, as a gift to Jesus is because of what he did on the cross. The work that he did on the cross to die and take the punishment for our sins, is an, it's an amazing, wonderful thing. And, uh, of course, uh, Satan tried to circumvent that. You know, Satan didn't want this. Satan said, I'll give you all these kingdoms if you just bow down and worship me. You don't have to go through what you need to go through. You don't have to die on a cross. I'll just give you all these nations. I'll let you be in charge. And Jesus knew it couldn't work like that. It couldn't work like that. So Jesus is going to get his inheritance, but he had to go through the death on a cross in order to be able to have us purified of our sins so that we could be a good gift to him. So, but notice, it's the idea of being a son, the son is going to receive an inheritance. And it's just a wonderful thought that we are going to be that inheritance. We are the inheritance that Jesus 
receives. Number two, the Son made the world. Right there in verse number two at the very end, it says, through whom he made the world. So God made the world through the Son. That's what that passage is saying. So this is somebody very special. Jesus wasn't um, just kind of, he came into an existence when he came down as a baby on this earth. That's not true. Jesus was there with God in the beginning. And that might make you, I think, hopefully, of John chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. And we'll actually read all the way through 3. This is talking about Jesus. This is talking about the Son that Hebrews is talking about. In the beginning was the Word. So, by the way, if you want me to prove this to you, the Word in verse number 14, it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus for sure. So in verse number one again, in the beginning was the word. Jesus was already present in the beginning. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Nothing has been made that has been made. It happened through Jesus. And that's a really neat thought to consider that God didn't just kind of set things into motion and then he sent his son down sometime later just to kind of get involved in things. We have been Jesus' project from the get-go. This is how I think about it. If, if, if you don't like that language, you can, you can figure out how you want to word it on your own. But we're his project Jesus is the one who created this entire world. Jesus is the one who created us. When In the G- Genesis chapter 1, when it says, um, God said, let there be light, and there was light. You know, Jesus is the one who's making that happen. And this is a reference, and it's interesting, the link between God speaking and it was. And then you look here, and it says, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the Word. So... It's a wonderful thought that Jesus, we've always been his project. Jesus, everything that he has done has been for us. And we end up going back to him someday since he's the heir of all things. So, and that's why when I read through the Old Testament and it says the Lord showed up, the Lord spoke, you know, showed up and spoke to Abraham. And when the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, I tend to think, because of this information, I tend to think that that's Jesus. It just seems like we're the project that Jesus takes on. He's the one who's hands-on here on this earth. And God's the one who's overseeing. He's the one in charge. And Jesus doesn't do anything without being told by his Father. And it's just a wonderful picture. And uh, so this is the one that we're talking about in Hebrews. This is the one who came to speak to us. Jesus, who is the heir of all things. Jesus, who made all things. And, uh, and then Psalm, uh, if I might add this one in real quickly. Psalm 33, verse number 6 says, in the midst of a wonderful song of praise, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. So we think of the word of the Lord being the spoken word of God, but now we look at 
Psalm 33 and say, well, this could even be a reference to Jesus being the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. The word is Jesus. The word was spoken, and, and there was light, there was creation. A wonderful picture of this son. The son is not just any son. This is someone special. He's the heir of all things. He is the one who made the world. And then we get to point number three on the outline. And it all comes from verse number three. Verse three says, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. So the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Everything that's beautiful, glorious, good, perfect about God, Jesus shines forth that radiance. You know, when God is light and in him is no darkness, God is just this, he's this radiance. What's the, you know, how do you describe God? Here's the one, just this beautiful, wonderful, light, Radiance, And if you want to see God, then you look at Jesus because the sun is the radiance of God's glory. And he isn't just, and Moses kind of had a little bit of that, right? He spoke to God face to face, and so his face kind of shone. But Jesus is that full radiance because he is the exact representation of his nature. He's the very image, the very likeness of God's character and who God is. The Son is special. Jesus, if you want to know God, and well, I just I want to flip back to John chapter 1 just for a second. In verse 8, John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. Now, wait, wait. Didn't Moses see God? Didn't David see God? Didn't Abraham, you know, he spoke with God Uh, but this says John the apostle John writes he says no one has ever seen God at any time so how do you how do you reconcile that well I don't think anybody has seen the full the the full God in all of his glory, in all of his fullness. Even when Moses got to get a glimpse of God, it was just his backside as he was walking away. He didn't get to see all of God. He would have died. No one has seen God at any time. That's true. No one has ever seen God at any time. And then listen to how this verse ends in verse chapter 1, verse 18 of John. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father... He has explained him. So if you want to know God, you got to look at Jesus. Jesus explains him. Jesus makes him manifest. Jesus makes him known. If you want to go know God, if you want to be right with God, if you want to get a glimpse of God, if you want to be able to answer to this God that we try and figure out in our mind all the time, you go to Jesus. Jesus the Son. And it fits so well with Hebrews because 
God has spoken to us in his son. And this son is special because he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. You want to know the essence of God? You look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And so to tie this in with where we were last week, I would contend as we looked at um, Psalm chapter 63 last week, we noted that David said in verse number 2, Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. And what a neat, we, we can imagine David somehow seeing, being there at the sanctuary and witnessing the power and the glory of God. You know, he's got a front row view to seeing God. And I would just ask, well, who's got it, who's got it better? David with that front row view of seeing God in his glory in the sanctuary? Or us who see Jesus, who can know Jesus and who, who can get to know God because we have Jesus as our Savior and as our friend. Jesus who died on the cross to save us from our sins. Jesus that we understand he cares so us, for us so much that he was willing to take the punishment for our sins that we deserve, we rightly deserve. He took it all upon himself. I hope the answer is obvious because that is the point of Hebrews chapter 1 through 4 is that everybody who is reading this letter Throughout the ages, whenever this was written, late in the first century, whenever, mid-first century, before the temple was destroyed, I don't know. But anybody who reads this, his point is, you've got it better than anybody that has ever existed in the history of time because Jesus has spoken and he has made God known to you. All right, a couple more things about this son. The Son upholds all things. Um, Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to read this, and I think you'll see many things that fit right along with what we've already stated. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He is the image, speaking of Jesus, obviously. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Even maybe a reference there to the inheritance. Verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. So the reason that the world still spins today and that the molecules that make up this, uh, this stuff that I touch here and in the air, the reason that those, um, uh, those molecules work and the atoms still have electrons that are still spinning around or jumping back and forth, however you want to describe it, the reason all that is holding together is because Jesus sustains it. He upholds all things by his power. This is a very special son. So the sun is the heir of all things. The sun made the world. The sun is the exact radiance of God's nature. And the sun upholds all things. And then number five, the sun 
made purification of sins, or purification for sins, however yours reads, then sat down at the right hand of God. Verse number uh, 4 um, verse number at the end of verse number three, it says, "When he had made purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high." So here is what we all know to be true. This is why God is really so special. God amongst us, God who visited Emmanuel, is because this Son made purification for sin. He's the one who died on the cross to save us. And then once that work was complete, he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's got nothing left to do other than what he can do through us. His work is complete. He has done the job of saving the world. And now we just have to go and share that news with others so they can say amen to it. That's all that's left to do. But the Son has done something special. That's why it's the last days. The work is done on his part. Now he's got much to do through us. But he made purification of sins through that death on the cross. And now he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Or he is sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is there overseeing it all. The son who inherited. This is a special son, isn't it? The very son of God. There, made everything. Has shown us. God has spoken through him to reveal God to us. He's the only way to know God. And he has saved us through the purification of sins. And that's a major theme through this book. Is that what he has done is done and don't go to anything else. Don't look to angels to save you. Uh, don't, don't look to the priests that might still be around. Don't look to any of the sacrifices, the law of Moses. It's, it's kind of pointless because of what Jesus has done. And this is the, the thought to end with is that the Son. We've looked at these four verses. The Son is the greatest He is the highest, he is the mightiest, he is the most wonderful, he is the most loving, he is the most beautiful, he is the the most, whatever you want to put in there that's good, he is the most. He is superior and he has spoken. And the question comes then, will you listen to him or will you turn to inferior things? Verses 1 through 4 show how great and wonderful Jesus is. And when we leave, when you start going out through your days throughout the week, the world says, oh, but look at this. Or, oh, you could do this. Or, oh, you could become this. And will you go, ooh, That looks great. Ooh, that looks good. Or will you say, no, I've got something much, 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 much more superior. I know Jesus. Jesus is the greatest, the highest. He is our Savior. He is our friend. Give your life to him. 
live for Jesus. Turn to nothing else because everything else, every other religion, every other thing, every other pursuit is inferior. Jesus is the greatest. Give him your life if you need the prayers. If you're a member of the church and you want the prayers of the church so that you can stay focused on the one who is the most important, we'll pray for you. Excuse me. If you need Christ in your life, you want to be buried with him in baptism, today is the day to do that. Respond to the call. You're welcome to get a hold of me anytime, and we'll encourage you to do that sometime today. Respond to Jesus.